Father, as we let this reality settle in on our hearts, Lord God, this beautiful babe that came into the world to save sinners like me and you. Father God, he had one purpose in mind. And he comes in humility to bear the full weight and wrath of the Holy God. That's the significance of this child. So help us to ponder you this morning, Father God. Let us never get over the fact that this babe would one day be raised on a cross. That one day this babe would spill all of his blood to pave the way for you and I to be in the presence of a holy king. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our praise, honor, and glory. We give you this time, and we love you for it. It's in Jesus' name. Welcome, guys. If you want to go ahead and turn into Luke 2, we're going to continue on in our sermon series, and this will be the last week uh, that we're in the series, Glory in the Highest. So if you've been following along with us, uh, you know where we're at in the story of Christ. Uh, if you haven't been following along, or this is the first time that you're kind of encountering, encountering us, with us, go ahead and go back online, and you can see the whole series uh, up to this point. But we're in Luke 2. I'm going to read the text first uh, before we dive in <clears throat> in its entirety. It says, and when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, He was advanced in years, having lived with her husband only seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is a beautiful testimony, and then we're going to continue on with our our, our time as as we're thinking about Christ. So, uh, this is our Advent series, and we don't miss the fact that this baby, uh, as we move forward, uh, <clears throat> more is being revealed about him. So by this point, we've seen the angel's proclamation. We've heard the prophecies from Zechariah. We've heard uh, the beautiful prayers of both Mary uh, and Elizabeth, and we've just seen this continual crescendo as what this child would be and become. And that's the question that I want you to settle in on as we dive into the text this morning. 
What is the significance of this child? So the main idea is Christ is the chosen way for the Father to bring salvation to the world and is thereby the single most important person in all of history. We do not get away from that. So we see in our outline this morning that Christ first is fully committed to identify with his creation. That's the first part that we see here. So it's amazing to me just how uh, detailed and important the coming of Christ was. Uh, The magnitude of this reality can quickly be glossed over as we read really just a a few short verses. We're only in chapter 2 of Luke, and and we're already moving through uh, the parts of his life. Uh, And it's not only that he came, but it's also in how this beautiful baby came that proves he was the one qualified to be our Savior. He enters completely into our existence. He takes on our humanity and our conditions. This Christ grew older, right? He aged. Uh, He stubbed his toe. He hit his thumbnail with a hammer, right? He lived life. He experienced emotions. He had compassion. He had anger. He had frustration. He experienced loss, loss of a beautiful friend, but we dare not miss that we don't even have in our text when his earthly father, Joseph, died. But by the time we get to his ministry, when he's 33, Joseph is no longer present. The Lord experiences all of these things. He completely identifies with us, his creation. So in the context of our passage this morning, we see how Jesus submits fully in his life to the Old Testament regulations. We see this, how Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple. As the firstborn son of Mary, he was to be given over to the Lord. And this is according to Exodus 12, dealing with the Passover lamb. This command was commissioned at the time of the Passover when the Lord destroyed all the firstborn children of Egypt because of their refusal to let the people of Israel go worship him. Yet the people of Israel also had to submit to the Lord. They had to do something as well and slaughter a lamb that was spotless to cover the doorpost of their homes so that these children of Israel, those firstborn children, were redeemed by the Lord through the sacrifice of a lamb. Their blood would be, that, that blood would be spilt, Right? so that the childs would not be. God had made a way for his people. He was providing provision. This is what we're, this colors everything that we see right here in this text this morning. And the sacrificial system that would soon be given to the people of Israel was a reminder of how deadly their sins were before the one true and living God. But the scripture is very clear about this sacrificial system. That's what we see in the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It can't. It's not sufficient. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So these regulations represented a reminder to the people of their sin and their hope was looking forward to the one day, that one day when Messiah would finally come to pay for their sins. Now we celebrate that Christ came into the world. That's what we were just celebrating yesterday, to be presented as the pure and spotless lamb for all people. He was the long-awaited for Messiah, the hope of Israel and for all people. In the flesh, Jesus fulfills the law of God perfectly. Listen how Philippians describes it. Or the, Paul, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All of this points to the wonderful significance of Christ coming into this world. His life was bookended with the emphasis of the Passover, representing the old sacrificial system. From his presentation at the temple of this account right here to his public display and humiliation on the cross, Christ is the perfect sacrifice. I think it's pretty significant that we just left the story, right, of uh, the angels declaring to the shepherds uh, this beautiful gift. And we dare not miss the fact that when the shepherds actually found Christ, he was wrapped. My wife was reminding me of this the other day. Wrapped in a swaddling cloth, laid in a manger, and we kind of have usually a depiction of a wooden manger, but actually it was more likely given in Bethlehem, these were the lambs that were raised for the, sacrificial, uh, for the sacrifices in Jerusalem. So he was probably laid in this little stone manger that was for those perfect lambs so that they wouldn't hurt themselves. So don't miss this. The shepherds, when they would have walked in the door, would have looked at this beautiful babe laying right here in this manger and said, there he is. This is the one lamb that is to be sacrificed for all sin for all time. He is perfect. And the only one qualified to bring about the salvation for his children. That's what the writer of Hebrews continues to say. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Nothing. Christ did not break forth into our existence in power, but in humility. This helpless babe was the everlasting son of God that came in the flesh to rescue humanity. And also within this narrative, we see the obedience of Mary and Joseph, and we don't want to miss this because of who they are, who God called them to be. They were not perfect parents, but clearly they were obedient parents as they humbly took on the awesome task of raising the son of God. Just let that stand for a second, okay? Let that sink in. They were given the great task of raising the long-awaited Messiah. There he was in the flesh right in front of them, and all his cooing and crying was a crescendo building up in their own souls of just what this child was destined to become. Each new declaration about Jesus they humbly took into heart, and we dare not miss the fact that Mary and Joseph were simple, ordinary people. Don't miss that fact, church. Don't miss that fact that God chose them out of obscurity. They were from humble means because right here in the text we see the sacrifices that they brought were provisions for the poor that the Lord had instilled in his law. Two turtle doves or two pigeons. Simple sacrifices. When a lamb was required, God made a provision even for the poor. Their poverty did not stop them from walking in obedience to the Lord's command. And that should be great encouragement for the people of God today, right? It's how Paul encourages the Corinthian church. He said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So you and I stand a great company, don't we? For the Lord uses the weak things of this world to accomplish his plans. In humility, the Lord, the one that spoke creation into existence, that God, in his incarnation, was raised by two otherwise insignificant people. They were used in God's glorious plan of salvation, and so too is the calling of every Christ follower. 
God identifies with his creation. Point two, Christ's grand purpose was to bring salvation to his children. So I've stated that Christ was the long-awaited Messiah, but this is not mere conjecture or trying to fit him to the Old Testament descriptions uh, of the Messiah. This is how those raised up by the Lord at the time of his birth and life described him. This is what they had said. In this part of the narrative, we are introduced to an interesting person, Simeon, right? He just kind of steps out, of, out onto the scene. Who was he? We don't really know. Luke doesn't even really seem to be that interested in who he is outside of the fact that he was considered righteous and devout. And it was whom God had been with. As in earlier narratives in Luke and of the other gospel accounts, we see the constant influence of the Holy Spirit, and we see it right here with Simeon. The unseen hand of the Holy Spirit is ushering in the testimony about Christ. As Simeon faithfully trusted the Lord, he was used by the Holy Spirit to give faithful witness to the coming Messiah. Why? He was promised by the Lord that he would not die until he saw the coming Messiah. Talk about the constant anticipation and buildup of his own life, right? To carry the truth around, you would get to see the promised Messiah you only read about in the Law and the Prophets. Think about that. Simeon was waiting to see the great snake crusher of Genesis, the one that would completely restore his people. And when the day finally came, his reaction is perfect. Right? Nobody would stop him. He's ushering into the temple. He, w- he was moving people out of the way right, so that he could get Jesus out of Mary's arms. I mean, that, what, what that must have been to Mary and Joseph, right? This eight-day-old baby. He's fresh. He's new. He's beautiful, right? And this weird guy comes up and grabs your baby out of your arms and starts declaring, right, in that little Simba moment from Lion King, right? This is the long-awaited king, right? But something marvelous was afoot. You see, unlike Zechariah's prophecy, which happened uh, in a small, obscure community that we talked about with, when Cole preached uh, last week, this prophecy happens in plain sight for all to see. This is right here for everybody to take notice. Like the prophets of old, there was both a message and a picture, picture for these onlookers, right, that experienced this event. Remember, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was the true Israelite. that longed for Messiah, not just for the comfort of Israel to be restored as a political power. No, he was waiting for Messiah. So let's look at both his action and his message. First, what does he do, right? He comes into the scene, and he takes Christ to himself. So in obedience, he goes directly to the temple. He's listening. Notice again, the Holy Spirit just prompting him on. And the wordplay is very specific here for Luke because he does not use the typical word for take, right, in the Greek language, uh, but the word that means to receive or to take possession of. Don't miss this, right? So Simeon, in true prophetic fashion, literally takes possession of Messiah. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel because, like Simeon, we too must trust and take hold of our Savior, right? All prophets of the Old Testament had very poignant words and spoke to the people of Israel. And Simeon's declaration is clearly as powerful, right? We don't miss that. All right, so what does he say right down here? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He declares this to everyone around. I mean, think about that. You're, you're going one day and you're just offering up sacrifices and here's a declaration made. What just happened? All of history is changing in that moment. I mean, if you were an onlooker at that time, you must, I mean, your chins, your mouth just must have been agape. So what does he say? 
Jesus is our salvation, right there in verse 30. And we know this to be true. This is Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember, this baby was born to die. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And Galatians 4, 4 through 6 that we read yesterday, but when, or the day before, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because your sons, God has, this, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So he is our salvation. But he is also the salvation for all people. We dare not miss this. Simeon declares the message in the court of women, therefore showing Christ is the Messiah for everyone, both men and women, all humanity. This is a central message that actually became lost over time in the Jewish community for centuries that God was after all people, not just those chosen Israelites, but all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Listen how the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah 400 years before Christ when dealing with the nations. He says in Isaiah 42, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And then he continues on later in, in Isaiah it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. It's too light of a thing. And to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God had a beautiful plan for all of us. We could walk through the Psalms and hear the same sentiment. We say our banner verses, we'll say it here at the end of service today, that we're going to cause God's name to be remembered where? So that the nations may praise him forever. This child came to earth to live and to die for all humanity. This is the continued refrain in the New Testament. As we follow along in Acts, the word continues to spread to the point where Paul, a Jew, is commissioned as a missionary directly to the Gentiles for the spread of the gospel. So by this point, Joseph and Mary must have been overwhelmed. The realities are just unfolding on them, and their response is the only right one, that of marveling at this beautiful gift. Think about it. They have been visited by angels. They've seen miracles through their son's and nephew's birth, heard testimony from shepherds, and now this very public profession in the temple. They must have been in awe because the good news is overwhelming. Their breakers were crushed, and the tide of God's faithful love rushed over them as the reality hit them over and over of the significance of this little baby in their arms. But the message isn't over. Simeon turns to them directly to land the final blow. This good news does not come without strife. Not everyone is going to take kindly to the message of the arrival of Messiah. And why is that? John tells us in the gospel that bears his name, 
And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. The message of the cross will always experience confrontation because we love our sin. We would rather wallow in our filth than turn to the true light. We would rather act religious rather than fall on our faces before the only one that can truly save us. But Peter's declaration at Pentecost is the same for us today. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, period. This Messiah, this precious babe, would save all his children. For those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, we are safe. Why? Because Messiah has come. Because his sacrifice wasn't for the Jew only, but for the Gentile. And God loves us so much that he loves to uh, edify his word, right? So the final point here is that Christ's mission and purpose was confirmed by witnesses. Luke bookends this short narrative with another testimony. In the Gospel of Luke, he's striving to show the true and accurate accounts of Jesus so that the reader can see and believe, trusting the accounts that were presented to them. Therefore, in the providence of God, immediately following Simeon's prophecy, another prophet walks into the scene, right, who had been there for, what, 84 years? Holy smokes. Anna, a prophetess who had faithfully served in the temple for decades, declares the arrival of Israel's redemption and backs up Simeon's prophecy. Anna's declaration, therefore, completes the necessary requirements to establish a valid testimony, right? Deuteronomy 19.15, this is what it would require to provide someone guilt. You had needed two witnesses, right? Well, equally as so, that's how you establish a fact, by two witnesses. And don't miss it, church. Here, as an eight-day-old baby, God provides the testimony for who this child is going to be and the sham trial that Christ before Christ was crucified, they couldn't find a one testimony to match. In their filth and sin, they just refused to hear the testimony given about this, this Savior, this Lord. God had already declared who this child was going to be. Two completely unknown figures stepped forward to declare the realities of who this child was and would become for all people, and upon their unified message and establishing the fact had been declared. But before we go too far and place too much emphasis I want you to realize something. This account is here to bolster your faith. It's to give you confidence. But it's not necessary to establish your faith. You don't need all these answers, right? You just need to understand that he is the one true God. You need to trust in faith and believe on this Christ. God did this. God did this just to show off. Just to show off that he set all time in history to bring these two people insignificant out of obscurity for you and me to bolster his testimony. He spares no expense and planned every detail for the arrival of his son. We also cannot leave the text this morning without looking at the important role that the Holy Spirit plays throughout the entire. He's, he's just saturated in this text this morning. So the Holy Spirit, he's been mentioned multiple times in this account. He's clearly been active all through the first two chapters of Luke. Compare that to how many times he is referenced in the Old Testament, and we can see the extreme significance of what's actually happening here. Why is it so significant to see the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit? The Lausanne Statement, which is one of our guiding documents uh, with the Acts 29 Network, deals with the Holy Spirit in this way. Listen to it. The Father sent the Spirit to bear witness to His Son. Without His witness, ours is futile. Conviction of sin, faith in Christ, new birth, and Christian growth are all His work, meaning the Holy Spirit's work. Therefore, we should fully expect the Spirit's work at the presentation of Christ. 
right? He's there to announce Jesus' arrival. He is present when Christ is brought to the temple. He shows up again at Jesus' baptism, which was the beginning of Christ's public ministry. He was present with all the first believers in the books of Acts to show his continual presence of God with his children, right? And he has been and will continue to be with every new believer down through the millennia until Christ returns. That's his presence with us. So in light of all of this, church, you just come off of Christmas and the ripping up of presents, and, and I'm sure it was just as crazy in your house as it was in my house. Don't let us walk away from this time and forget the significance of this babe and what he was here for. So I have two questions for you. They're very simple. How are you going to respond to this child? Luke is declaring to us today, heed listener and reader. Be careful with what you do about this child. Stop and contemplate what is before you, the reality of the Messiah and the salvation offered. See the signs and wonders surrounding him. Sit back in awe and wonder and reflection. He is no ordinary child. Hear the heart of your Savior who is no longer a babe but standing at the right hand of the Father. Listen to Christ. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is the Lord's testimony to you. So how, what are you going to do with this child? And second question, how are you being a faithful witness to the truth of Christ? God does not need our silence, but our voices. And we see that ever more present in, in our current age. In a country, in a nation that is continuing to become more hostile to the gospel message. We as Christ followers are not to retreat back, but to are to speak into the darkness the realities of who this child is. We must preach the gospel in season and out of season. So as we close the chapter of 2021 in this coming week, and we enter into a new season, and we turn the page to 2022, where new possibilities are at your fingertips, church. Will this be the year of our dear Lord's Savior's return? And if so, will he find his children faithfully? Father God, you stepped into our existence completely, Lord God. There's nothing that we see from this text this morning that does not show your hand all over it. This precious babe, fully submitted to your will, lives a perfect life and existence for us to pave a way back to you. For there was a chasm that was set between us. Our sin dug it out and pushed us away from you. We love our sin, Father God. We are broken by it, and it separates us completely. We love the darkness. But you, you love us too much. You refused to leave us there. And in humility, the only perfect way, you sent your son. the void 
our sin to cause the bridge for us to walk over. Oh, Lord, we can't get over the gospel. It is overwhelming. Because I know the weightiness of my own sin. I know just what that did. I know just what it does to your heart. And yet you bore it fully, Jesus, on the cross. God, we have a great message to tell. There is salvation in no one and no other name but you. Father God, it's in that that we give you praise. It's in that that we walk into this new year in hope and anticipation of what you will do. Grow your church. Lead us to repentance daily, moment by moment. Help us to worship you in faith and in truth, knowing that our God loves us and cares for us carry us through to the end when we see you face to face and when you wipe away every tear from our eyes. We love you, Jesus.